Why is it that with the church and the church alone, we have this privilege of teaching God's word? Just really think about it. Why is it that this institution called the church has this wonderful privilege of teaching God's word and that responsibility. Why? The church and the church alone has been given that responsibility and that authority to teach. God's word. In Isaiah, it speaks about the shepherds sometimes not being on their jobs because they're dogs that don't bark or they're dogs that don't teach or shepherds that don't teach. And all of us, in a sense, are shepherds. All of us are sheep. All of us are priests. All of us pastor somebody. Whether you're pastoring your own children, your own grandchildren, your neighbor's children. Because pastoring just means to watch over. And you're doing that. We must, as the church today, really rediscover the power of teaching and lean on nothing else but the teaching of the Word of God. If you enjoy that teaching, you'll go out and share it with somebody else. What other institution has really been given that responsibility? There is no other. To teach God's people his word. And that's the purpose of it. To teach God's people his word. God directly gave the teaching of scripture solely to the church. And provided those who would do so. He also provides those who would do the teaching. He gave us those individuals who would teach his word. He gave it to us. Why? That his people may be taught on how to serve and minister through him. And that's one of the things that we have to really recognize. Look, the highest calling is not pastor. The highest calling is not doctor so-and-so in front of your name. The highest calling is not lawyer so-and-so, attorney so-and-so. I don't care what position, what title we may have. There is a title that is above that title. And that title is simply this, servant of the Most High God. Servant, servant, servant. 
for everything else, pastor, deacon, elder, evangelist, whatever you may want to call apostle, it all leans down to one thing, a servant. A servant. Go to Ephesians 4. Look what God provides for his church. And he's done it. He's provided this. In verse 11, it says, It was he, the Lord Jesus. It was he, God. It was he, God the Holy Spirit, God the Father and the Son. It was he who gave some to be apostles. Now look at the order in which he puts it in also. He follows the historical order. Apostles first. The pillars of the church. The teachers of the church. Before there was ever pastor, there was apostles. Before there were evangelists, there were apostles. They established the basic teaching and demonstrated that teaching going forth. And he says, boy, he gave to be apostles and some to be prophets. Prophets, proclaimers of his word. Proclaimers of his word. They were not apostles. They were prophets. They were proclaiming God's word. They're busy proclaiming God's word. And remember, the New Testament itself is not fully written at this time. But God is communicating his word through his apostles and prophets. He's talking to his people through them. And he says, then some to be evangelists. Some to be evangelists. Well, that could have been a Philip. That could have been some of the others that did not have the title per se, apostle. And I understand, yes, apostle could have also had the gift of evangelism. But his main emphasis was not evangelism. His main emphasis was being an apostle when called of God, a messenger, a truth. And he says, I gave you the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. And this last one then, that has endured until today, to be pastor, teacher, to be a shepherd that will watch over the flock, but also teach the flock. Many of you have heard me say, a sheep can't see no further than six feet in front of itself. Understand, if you are a sheep and you can see no further than six feet in front of yourself, if you go six feet away from the flock, away from the rest, you don't see them if they're seven feet from you. And you go another six feet away, you are further away from the flock. And you go another six feet away, You are lost from the flock. The further you go with your six feet, because you can't see any further than six feet down the road, 
it would take the shepherd to find you and bring you back to the flock. Although you may only be about 30 feet away from the flock, you can't see the flock. And that's what happened to us with sin. We move six feet here, six feet here, six feet here, six feet here, and the shepherd has to come find us because we can't find our way back to the flock. The shepherd somehow has to convict us. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Father, they have to speak to our hearts to bring us back because we can't see it. We can't find our way back. And in a sense, the good shepherd comes and lifts us up and carries us, carry us back to the flock because we can't see no more than six feet in front of us. And guess what? A sheep has been given nothing to protect itself. It doesn't have horns. Have you ever really tried to see a sheep run? A sheep can't run very fast. A sheep has really nothing to protect itself from the enemy other than the shepherd. And all God's people have to protect them is the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have nothing in and of ourselves to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. All we have is the armor of God that he tells us to put on, but he has provided it because he knows we have nothing in and of ourselves to protect ourselves from the enemy. We can't do it. And he says, I've given you these individuals to teach you, to help guide you, to help bring understanding to you. And he goes on, he says, here comes the reason now. Boy. In verse 12, he says, to prepare God's people for works and services. I'm glad he doesn't list the works because the works are multiple. There are far too many to mention. But he says, I prepare you. And the reason what the teaching does, the teaching prepares you to be like Christ in ministry towards other people. It teaches you how to serve no matter who you're serving. That you don't give preference to this group or that group or this person or that person. But you know how to serve everyone. He says, I've given you these men to teach you. And prepare you for works and service. So that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. Not so much in numbers but in maturity. In maturity. In maturity. And the church sometimes lacks so much maturity. It misses so much because we're not mature in the faith. 
We believe, yes, but we're not growing in that faith. We're not going beyond just knowledge. We love knowledge, but knowledge is useless if you cannot live by it. And he says, built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Teaching brings about unity. Teaching brings about a oneness of mind. It's the teaching of the word that says to us, yes, this is God's plan. This is what God desires. This is what God would have. Why? Because it fits within God's word and in his manner of service to other people. The church found itself divided. Some years and years ago, and this would be a total separate story, but very quickly, those who called themselves the evangelical group and those who called themselves the liberal group, both claiming Jesus Christ. One group just split off and said, only thing that matters is that a person saved. Doesn't matter how they live, don't matter how well educated, don't matter how this is happening or that is happening. The main thing is we just want to see them saved. They are saved, but they may live the same lousy old life. This other one, as this side over here blames us, oh, they went into the social gospel. They want to help people. They want to build people up. They want to do that. So they saw scripture from that perspective. This side over here saw scripture from just being saved. And what we missed on is this. It's both. That saying is true. If you, really, if you really know the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes you from where you are to a whole new revelation of life. He transforms you. He lifts you up. He is the one who elevates you. He is the one who puts you in places you would have never thought of. He's the one who allows you to speak before people that you would have never dreamed that you would have been speaking before. He is the one who puts you in an office that you would have never dreamed that you would have been in. He is the one who sits you with people when you look around and you'll ask the question, Boy, how did I get here? He does it all. He does it. And he says, boy, until we reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we have much more to learn, quite a bit more to learn, and become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We have a lot of growing yet to do. Quite a bit of growing. Well, let me get my advertisement in. At Riverside on the 31st, from 6 to 7, you get a dinner and get a good challenge for $15. The moody one would cost us 75 and would... So many men going, it would drop down to 65 for a half a day, but this is more the bargain for me. 
but I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And it's going to be an excellent speaker. For $15, you get your dinner. Tell the wife, take a night off. And you go have dinner and you fellowship with some other brothers and you enjoy yourself for a moment. But you know what? That takes a sacrifice on our part. To want to be able to do that. To be among other brothers of unity, of like-mindedness. And to hear the word of God and the challenge that comes. And he says, boy, yes, into that knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Boy, we're all growing. I don't never think we'll hit that maturity level until we see him face to face, but we are in the process of maturing. We're in the process of growing. We're in that. Go to 1 Timothy 5.17. 1 Timothy 5.17. Because we're right there in that process where we're growing. Listen to what he says, because this is who he gave to the church. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. Now, listen to this. Especially those who work in preaching and teaching. Those who are basically called to what? Proclaim God's word. Now, a lot of people will separate something here, and it should not be separated. As pastors, you do have the responsibility to teach. Roscoe don't carry the title, pastor, reverend, but he still has the responsibility of what? Teaching. Walter don't carry a title of deacon, Sunday school teacher. But on that bus route, he still has the responsibility to do what? To teach. We may call it witnessing, but in our witnessing, I hope what we're doing is teaching. Mark has that responsibility at Akron U as he meet with young people. And sometimes I don't have to quote chapter and verse. I just give the principle. I give the standard. And if they ask then, where did you get that from? Now I can give chapter and verse. But I'm what? I'm teaching. I'm teaching standards and principles that God has given is not just for the pastor. It's for all God's people to be teachers. And that's why we study the word together. We study the word together. Because there's so much to learn. And understanding there's a lot out here yet. And I have a lot of people say sometimes, well, all I want to know is just this. What made Paul, and you really read Paul, what made Paul so valuable to the gospel is that he was knowledgeable to all the errors or the cults or the false teachings of that day. 
And he could correct it very quickly with the gospel. And we need to be able to hear people. And we need to be able to share with people. That's why back in Ephesians 4 and verse 13, I believe it is, he says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. That we're not trying to show off. We're not trying to embarrass. We're not trying to hurt. We're not trying to shame. We're not trying to say to somebody, I'm smarter than you. But that we're sharing truth with them. Because we love them. And we know their destination if they don't adhere to the truth that God has given. And he says, these are preachers and teachers. We all are. He gives it to the title as the elders because, yes, they're going to do a lot of the teaching and the declaring of the truth. And when you speak with an elder, you should be able to hear something of life and concreteness. You should be able to hear something that lifts you up, that comes from the word of God, not from life. But something that comes from God's word. Something that builds you up and something that says, yes, I can keep on running on. Yes, I'm in a rut. Yes, I'm a little low. Yes, I'm. I'm kind of down. Yes, I'm struggling. But you hear words that are encouraging that allows you to keep pushing on. Because Paul says, boy, to press on. And in life, you're always pressing against something in order to grow in Christ. You're pressing against something. Go to uh, Acts 13. Because this is what you will face sometime when you try to teach or you're trying to share. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger. Now, I want to bring it back to your attention again as did last week. Here's a black man teaching before Islam ever came along. What is he teaching? Jesus Christ. Some Bibles will have it in black man <laughs> in parenthesis because Niger is a Greek word for black man. And here's a black man teaching and preaching about Jesus Christ way before Muhammad was ever born. And he goes on. And he names a few others who have been bought up. But look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart to me Barnabas, Saul, for the works, which I have called them, so that they had fasted, they had fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them and sent them away. Now, the Holy Spirit set his hands on them 
and sent them away. They're just declaring God's word. And they mean well. And they're doing God's work. But take note, the Holy Spirit is in the midst of that. The Holy Spirit is in the midst of it. And when you're doing God's work, someone will oftentimes oppose it. Will oppose it. And never let the opposition sidetrack you. Never let the opposition stop you. Never let the opposition try to throw something in to stumble you. And you need to understand that it's the Holy Spirit who's sending you no matter what. Now, the function of education. I was reading this. This is a quote from Martin Luther King. The function of education is to teach one to think intensely and to think critically. That's the function of it. To intensify your thinking that when you are reading scripture and you're thinking, and boy, when you bring that to somebody else, hopefully what they do is also intensify it, that you are getting more because intensifying means more. It's an increasing of something. That somehow you are being increased in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're being increased. You're receiving more from the Word of God. Intense is simply to increase, concentrate, cause anything to intensify. That becomes greater. And the way something sometimes becomes greater is like Proverbs says in 27.17, sharpening of the iron. But it has to clash. It has to clash. It has to meet something. You will not sharpen a knife just by waiting it through the air. But that knife has to strike something in order for it to be sharpened. You have to sharpen your wit by hitting your wit with somebody else's wit. That you're talking about Jesus Christ. You're challenging each other to go deeper. To see him differently. One of the things that's wrong with Christianity today is that I'm satisfied where I'm at when there's so much more to learn. Critical. To do critical thinking. To find fault. But somebody's going to say, well, pastor, are you trying to say go in the Bible and try find fault? I'm going to say something. You try to do the numbers in the Bible, you're going to find fault. Because <laughs> the numbers sometimes don't always add up. We do find fault. 
There are some mistakes in the Bible. But they are mistakes by copiers or translations. But they're very, 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 very few. That's what makes the Bible dependable because 99.9999 is true. But you will find sometimes fault with it. And that fault of being critical makes you dig that much more. That you're digging to understand and get the answer. And that's why being critical sometimes causes you to dig deeper. Hypercriticism in theological study is great. Why? Because we're forming a question about something, a scripture, and we're trying to go dig it out to have understanding of it. And you as a Bible student ought to be willing to go dig it out. To carefully analyze it. Suppose you're with a doctor. My brother has two other doctors were looking at his MIR or whatever. And somehow they missed the cancer in his bone, in his shoulder. And he couldn't figure out how did they miss it. And the cancer doctor, on his first visit with the cancer doctor, and she brought out, and that's the first time he heard that he has cancer of the bone in the shoulder part. And his question to her, why didn't the other doctors tell me? Her, her answer was, Some of them are not particularly trained to see it in the bone. And sometimes we don't train ourselves to see what all Scripture is saying. And that's why we need the Bible study and sharpen each other because we're going to see it. Because in Bible study and in Sunday school classes, the Holy Spirit can speak through any of us. Not just pastor, but through any of us, if we allow him to do so. And it may sound critical, the only thing you're doing is analyzing it. You're judging it. You're judging it on the basis how true it is. You're judging on it. Can I really trust it? You're judging on it. Can I really have faith in this? We're judging it. Can I put my life on the line with this? You're judging it for different reasons, different purposes. And rightly so. Why? It is your life that's on the line. It is your life that's on the line. And that's why the Lord, boy, he challenges us. More and more. Don't walk by what? Because this can deceive you. You think you see what you see, but you're really not seeing what you think you're seeing. How many of you have sat in your house and thought you saw a shadow or something move out? You may have saw something. You may not have seen But your mind at that moment says, I've seen something. 
And there's nothing wrong going through the house pleading the blood of Christ over it. (laughs) But the thing is, you thought you saw something here and may not have seen anything. And that's what the Lord says. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're believing and trusting him more so than we are our eyes. And understand this. You want to study the Bible to discover both its faults and its benefits. How's it going to be a blessing to you? How's it going to be a blessing to you? And understand that. That you study it intellectually for its blessings and its truths. Intelligent plus character, that is the goal of true education. That's the goal of true education in the church, is to build a Christ-like character. To build a godly woman, to build a godly man, to build a godly family. That's the purpose of its teaching. It is not just to add knowledge to your brain. Or you can just say, I know this, but I don't practice this. For he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it's what? It's sin. It's sin. What makes it sin is because you know God's truth, but you won't live God's truth. That's sin. That's sin. And he says, intelligence by itself will not really build good character. Look what's happening on the news with some very intelligent people. I still love to read Bill Cosby because there's truth in some of the things that he says about us as a people. I still love to read certain individuals, even though the law has caught up with them. They were very intelligent people. Look at the millions of dollars they made. But sin will bring you low. Sin will rob you of everything you worked hard all your life for. And just being intelligent will not bring about the right character that God so desires in your life. Secular education is great. Thrive for it. God allows it to be because he knows we need it. But secular education on its own will not build the type of character that is needed to build a family, a society, a community, or a country. And guess what? We're seeing that in our day. We have more educated fools than ever before. We have more people in college than ever before. Getting all kind of knowledge and becoming intellects 
we become so intellectually we don't need God any longer. But secular education will not build godly character. Only Scripture will do that. Only Scripture will do that. Only the teaching of Scripture and the learning, they have to go together. How many of you have been in a classroom and haven't learned a thing? We can sit in a classroom and we can hear, but we aren't learning. We're hearing, but we're not learning. And the process is to learn when teaching is going on. And through the learning comes the building of godly character. When we're in Sunday school, Bible class, talking scripture, in church, we're building godly character that will sustain us, that will uphold us, that will keep us being people of honor and integrity and honesty. It builds us and it sustains us. And we need to understand today, if we look at our world, don't we need godly women, godly mothers? Don't we need godly men, godly fathers? And don't we have a great need of godly children? When you catch two and three-year-olds that know how to cuss, something's wrong. And you got two and three-year-olds trying to tell you to go to, something's wrong. When you got two or three-years-old calling you the B word or some other word, something's wrong. We need godly children. We need godly men. We need godly women. Because that is the foundation for a godly home and a godly society, a godly community, a godly country. We need that. Now let me share something with you. In teaching... There's nothing wrong with being challenged. Why? It makes you go back and study more. If people just accept what you say and believe what you say, you won't know yourself when you are misleading people. But when people challenge you and question you, that makes you even go further to find the facts and do more digging so that you even have more confidence to share with them what the truth really is. And there's nothing wrong with being challenged because it's the challenge that pushes you to go further, to understand more, to get more facts about this to get more learning about this subject, to understand it deeper, to understand how this group see it and this group see it and this group see it and how this group interprets it. 
All that is part of learning that. Won't take too long. Two books. I got three of these books. And when I was in sheet metal and furnace work, boy, I learned how to lay out. Technology today, you don't have to worry about knowing all these points to build these different fittings and so forth. You just have to put it in the computer. It shines down. You take your little punch and you punch them. You draw your lines, cut it out, take it to the brake, break it up, put it together. But when you didn't have the computer, you had to come back to the book and lay out your different fittings and know what you were doing with it. You take a straight piece of pipe and you got to make a 30 degree bend. Or you have to make a 45 degree pin. Or you had to miss where the plumbers beat you through. So one issue in construction was whoever got through that hole first got the easy job. Because the architect only give you so much room <laughs> to get through there. When I was at Chrysler, they was going to farm out a job and I asked the general foreman, you got sheet metal workers here. Most of our time, we're waiting to hear a bell. We're waiting to hear something call us out on the press room or out someplace to go build something. Now, you got uh, OSHA saying we need more fresh air in here. You're talking about farming it out. You got sheet metal guys. Use us. We can design it and we can put it in. There's knowing something. Now, understand something. This won't help me here. <laughs> you don't want me to try to explain to you how to make a right angle. <laughs> but in this place, it was important. Oh. I go down to Y. I open my Bible after I'm done with my shower. And I start reading. And I start doing notes. And every now and then somebody will come along and give me a book because they found out I'm a pastor and they want me to heighten my knowledge. They want to make sure I'm teaching y'all right. You know. It's supposed to be a Greek word, but you get into the Greek, you really don't find this word. Not in the Koine Greek. Regular Greek, Yes. It's supposed to be part of the word to separate in Hebrews 4.12. And they write on it. Listen carefully. Many Christians think that the promise is God's responsibility and performance of that promise is their responsibility. If God has promised you a church, let him perform it. If God has promised you prosperity, let him perform it. Forget all your ways of making it happen. Those are Ishmael's, not Isaac's. Those are Ishmael's, not Isaac's. And they go on to explain that Ishmael was everything in the negative thinking. 
Isaac was everything in the positive thinking. That's foolishness. That's spiritualizing something. The other soul. One of the areas confusion that Christians have is fought over in whether a Christian can have demons. There are two levels on which Satan can influence lives. Indirect influence is by planting a thought in your mind as corruptible seed that produces after its kind and if not dealt with, it will bring a harvest of death in its many manifestations. And how does he do that? One way is through a teacher. So what are they saying? Be careful what you are. And boy, you need to be careful of this. But this is saying, you better be careful of those Sunday school teachers. You better be careful of those pastors teaching. You better be careful. And metaphors of the mind. We have seen in the metaphors that there is a separation for clarification. What does that mean? There are times when it may look as if the soul man is worthless and useless. What's the soul man? Only the word of God, the engrafted word, is able to save the soul. When you get into the thought process to change your thinking, it takes more than just being exposed to the word. If you get in the word, the word itself will do what? It'll change your thinking. Why? It'll renew your mind. If it renews your mind, you're going to think differently. And here he's saying, it takes more than the word. Something's wrong with that. Okay. Last one. We have looked at the areas of soulish activity and have learned how the soul gets saved. Now catch this. Progressively. That you're not saved at the moment in which you accept Christ. There's a progressive saving of the soul. Activity have learned how the soul gets saved progressively as opposed to the instantaneous salvation of the spirit. Now, there's got to be some explaining to that. But if you read something like this, and there's a lot out here, you better know how to combat it. You better be able to go to scripture in your mind. And share with it. So the lady who gave this to me, and I did what she asked. I read the whole thing. I underlined it. I put my questions down. I did everything. And we sat down for about a good 45 minutes and discussed the spirituality of this thing. See, the reason you go to Sunday school Bible classes, church, is to be taught so that when you get something that is wrong in your hand, 
dissect it. And you're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. But you better have you some kind of foundation. Or you'll fall for anything. You'll fall for anything. You'll allow anybody to teach you. You'll allow anybody to put something in your hand as long as it sounds spiritual. And you'll think, boy, I need this. I need to learn from this. I haven't heard this. Always take what you hear and what you learn back to Scripture. Always. Go with me to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. This is a psalm that you can sit down with young people and go over and over and over again. And their learning, it would be great for what's in this one psalm. We're just going to look at a couple of the verses real quick. Read them. Just digest them just for a moment. But in Psalms 9, 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? That how do I walk through this troublesome life? How do I walk through this life that's full of landmines? How do I walk through this area where I'm going to hear so much of this and so much of that? And how do I dissect that? How do I understand it? How do I then grasp with it? Which part is true and which part isn't true? How do I discern this and add it to my life? He says very easily. By living according to God's word. Now drop down to verse 11. He simply says, I have hid your word in my heart. What has he done with it? He's hid God's word in his heart. That whatever comes, no matter who it comes from, it has to go through that filter. It has to go through God's word. And if it don't measure up to God's word, then I toss it out. I may have to put it down on a, a test. I may have to say what the professor want me to say. But I have not internalized it. I have not internalized it. And he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God isn't saying, don't hear the intellect. Don't hear from those people who are teaching knowledge or causing you to grow in something. But you have to cipher it out. You have to do the picking and the choosing. If you listen today, there's all kind of stuff about family. But you've got to come back to God's word about what family really is. You want to be a godly woman, you can hear a lot of stuff out here. The one, boy, I'm going to share it because I think it has an important point. Of this lady every week getting up in church, praising God, praising the Lord. And she don't need no man, don't need this, and don't need that. And her house caught on fire. And the neighbor's Next door said, there go Jesus running out. 
either you live it or you don't live it. And eventually the truth, what? Comes out. For what you do in the dark will come to the light. Go to verse 27. He says, let me understand the teaching of your precepts. What is he saying? Yes, I'm taught. Yes, I've hid God's word in my heart. Yes, I know. But he says, now, Lord, I have this knowledge, but now give me understanding. Give me understanding. Let me understand the teachings of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. Lord, give me understanding. I have knowledge of your word, but now give me understanding of it. That I can put it into practice. That I can truly understand it and live it out. And 34 then, he simply says, let me get there. Give me understanding and I will keep your law. You can't keep something you don't really understand. You don't. You can't keep something you don't know how it applies to your life. And he says, give me understanding and I will keep your law and obey it with all my heart. When I have that understanding of it, I will obey it, Lord. Because I know how it fits in my life. I know how it benefits my life. I know how it blesses my life. I know how it adds to my life. See, a lot of our young people have knowledge of God's word. They don't have understanding of God's word. And they need a deeper understanding that this is not myth. This is reality. And they have to apply it to their life. Over to 59, he says, I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. The word causes you to what? Really look at who? Yourself don't cause you to really look at your neighbor. It causes you to consider what you're doing. It causes you to consider how you're thinking. It's causing you to really look at how you're living. And then if you take it seriously, it causes you to turn and do the right thing. Because you are seriously receiving God's word and putting it in your life. And you're trusting him. And he says, and have turned my steps. Okay, Lord, I was going this way. But I understand your word. And I turn. And I go this way. I go this way. Drop on down 63. I am a friend to all who fear you. Look what he's saying. That's where my fellowship is at. That's where my learning is at. That's where I will stay. Those who follow after you, I'm going to be with them. you with the wrong group. It's so easy to go the wrong way. You'll be encouraged to go that way if you're not hanging around with the right group and the right people. If you hang around with people who cuss and cuss quite a bit, guess what you're going to wind up doing? If you're around men who cheat on their wives, guess what you're going to wind up doing? (laughs) 
If you're around people who steal, guess what you're going to do? And you have to think of that. And that's why he says then, I am a friend to all who fear you. That's good company to be in. Might be a bunch of weird people. Might be a bunch of people who don't act and talk like the rest of the world. But it's good company. Go to 81 and 82. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. But I have put my hope in your word. Where's my hope? Where's my confidence? In his word. Not in myself. Not in my education. In his word. Not in my intelligence. In his word. And he says, boy, I have put my hope in your word. And my eyes fell looking for your what? Your promises. Boy, I go to sleep looking at God's promises. Do you go to sleep that way? Sometimes with the Bible here. Have you ever had the Bible just slip out your hand? Because the eyes are... Have you been reading something of the Lord and then it just kind of like falls to the floor and it wakes you up? He said, my eyes fail me. Why, I'm looking at your what? For your promises. Last one, real quick here. 126. Because this is my prayer oftentimes. It is time for you, it is time for you to act, O Lord. Your law is being broken. I know I can't change the lives of people. I know I can't do certain things. But Lord, they're breaking. They're transgressing your word. They're going against your word. And it's time for you to act, Lord. You have to intervene into their life. You have to do something, Lord. And put my glasses on so I can see the clock before y'all get mad at me. And the issue is, how are you building your life? Two ways. From worldly views and secular education. You can build your life off of worldly views of what you see the world does and how people of ungodliness advise you. Or you can build it off secular education. I'm not against education. I'm all for education. But education without Jesus Christ is just foolishness. And he said you can build on those two things, but your character will be rotten. You will stink. You really won't know how to live the life God intended for you with just worldly views and secular education. And 1 Corinthians 3.11 simply says, there's no other foundation that is laid than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everything you build from that point on is built on the foundation of Christ. And you've got to have a solid foundation to build on, or you constantly see your life crumbling, 
crumbling. Oh, you strive for this and then it crumbles. Then you do this and then it crumbles. Then you do that and then it crumbles. The reason it's crumbling because it's not on a solid foundation. In Luke 10, and we'll close with this. Go to Luke 10. Because, see, this is what we all have to come to. Where do I want to sit at and learn? Where do you position yourself to learn? And that's important to think about. Where do you place yourself to learn? You can position yourself in a school to learn. Nothing wrong with that. You can position yourself around some older people because you're younger to learn. Nothing wrong with that. You can position yourself in different places of business to learn about business. or You can position yourself to learn more about your skill or whatever. You can position yourself somewhere to learn more about finances. You can position yourself to learn more about your health. But do you position yourself in places where you learn more about Jesus Christ? You're the one who got to take you there. You're the one who got to place yourself there. You're the one who got to give up something else to be there. Look at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She did what? She opened her home. She opened her heart. She opened up that she might learn. See, you can be closed-minded and you won't learn. Because you have an open mind doesn't mean you'll change your mind. It just means you're willing to hear something else. And then you have to critically look at it. You have to intensify it if it's worthwhile. Dig for yourself and want more. She opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Where did Mary position herself? At the feet of of Jesus. Listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparation that she had to she had to be made. By all the preparations that had to be where did she where did Martha position herself? What I want you to look at is this where did Mary position herself and where did Martha position herself? And it's your choice. You can position yourself at the feet of Jesus. Or you can position yourself in a bunch of busyness and never learn. Never learn. Because it's where you place yourself at. And he closed with this because Martha started complaining. 
Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the works by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. Now, he didn't say, Martha, those things that you're doing, they're meaningless. Martha was preparing food or she was doing that. There, there, there were things that was important. And this is where we come as Christians. What is more important? What is more important? You have to ask yourself that question on Bible study night, Sunday morning, Sunday, what's more important? And then you've got to position yourself. Is sitting at home doing nothing, but watching TV is more important than the Word. Guess what you'll do? You'll position yourself in front of the TV. Or you'll position yourself sewing. Or you'll position yourself cleaning the house. You'll position yourself, yeah, it's, it's a worthwhile thing that you're doing. But is it the most important thing? And that's what Jesus is pointing out to Martha. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Isn't that something? All these other things, yes, they do take a priority in your life. Yes, they are meaningful in your life. And what you're doing, yes, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? But he says, what is the one thing that is most beneficial to you? And that's your relationship with Jesus Christ and learning of him. All these other things, yes. I can't, I don't want to live in a dirty home, so it got to be clean, but don't do the cleaning on Bible study time. Yes, boy, I know it's church time, but today I got to do this, this, and that. What's more important? Well, I made it two Sundays out of the month. I made it three Sundays out of the month. Oh, I think the Lord is satisfied with my Christian life. And he says again, Martha here. You worry and upset about many things, but only one thing is what? Ask yourself this question. With Mary in the hospital, do you think Mary was worried about the dishes being washed? Do you think Mary's worried about her bedroom being all messed up? Did you think Mary was worried about getting this taken care of or that taken care of? There was only one thing that was needful. My relationship with Jesus Christ. My relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, there's many other things that I can be worried about and that needs to be done. But ask yourself this one question. 
what is most needful for you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you bring us to this place that we really have to consider in our life what is most meaningful, what is most needful, what really takes the priority. And it always comes down to you, Lord. If we're growing and maturing in our faith and our desire is to learn more about you, it is that area, Lord, that we ourselves understand is more about Jesus than I have need of. It's more about my spiritual journey that I have need of. Is really looking at my life and to understand that only your word will cause me to turn, but if I'm away from your word, I'll keep on the path that I'm on. It is not man that turns me. It is only the conviction that comes through the Holy Spirit through the word that you have laid forth and that I hear you say of your word, walk ye in it. It is only your word that I've hidden in my heart that keeps me from sinning against you. Lord, would you help us to mature and to grow, to educate ourselves in the Word of God, to grow in the Word of God, to hunger and thirst for the Word of God, and be willing to position ourselves in the proper place that is going to be beneficial for us in our learning. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.